Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Dan Seligson and I'm joined today by my co-host Ashley Jacobs. What's up, Ashley? Hey, Dan. I am so stoked to be co-hosting another food episode with you today. You know, bread, along with toilet paper, artisanal beards, and gourmet hand sanitizer is the official cliche of COVID-19. But believe it or not, there were people baking exceptional breads well before we became homebound. Breads that, no offense to your sourdough starter on that top shelf of your fridge, are worth waiting a whole seven days to eat. We're talking, of course, about challah. Challah is the centerpiece of the Shabbat table, and for good reason. Apart from having symbolic and ritual significance, it's delicious, it looks amazing, it makes bomb French toast, and it's a flexible dough open to endless variety and individual style. Here in Greater Boston, there's one challah guru in particular who has elevated the art and taste of this already exalted loaf to new heights. Mandy Silverman, better known by her company name Mandylicious, was motivated to make exceptional challah for all the right reasons. Despite never making challah before, Mandy was committed to the cause. After perfecting her challah recipe, she started to experiment even more. A slew of stuffings, toppings, shapes, and colors followed. Then she got into babka. The results have been delicious, mouth-watering, in-demand products, an Instagram following of over 25,000, and a large list of customers for whom Shabbat and other holidays just aren't the same without a Mandylicious challah at the center of their table. We are very excited to have Mandy on the podcast today, talking to us from Sharon for this carb-loaded discussion. Mandy, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you holding up given everything going on in the world these days? That is an excellent question. I'm doing okay. I say that I like rate myself every day on a scale of one to 10 because def- different things will make me feel different feelings. And it's now that we can go outside, I'm definitely hovering around like a seven because it's like, all right, this is okay. I can like be six feet across from people. At the beginning, it was like, so it's cold and rainy and snowy and I can't leave my house and my children are all stuck here for eternity. All right, good. So that was, those were like five or three, I think for a little while, <laughs> but, but you know, but, but it was good because of the, um, you know, it, all the all in it togetherness was helpful in this house, especially because we do things as a team and the baking especially was big because that was something I knew how to do with the kids. I'm not good with the math Zoom school and the physics zoom school and I, I'm, I'm really not good at school in general I don't think but the cooking I was able to feel like I was doing something with them because you see on social media all the parents are doing like really intricate things with the children I'm like well today we only watched 10 hours of tv and I'm really proud of that it was amazing <laughs> um, so those days were harder but now that I can like we can have outside time it's better the summer is better in general but it's my favorite time of the year and now it's different because we can't my summer was planned last year for this summer Danny and my 20-year wedding anniversary this summer we had a very big like exciting trip and party and everything planned but that's okay we're gonna we'll have a 21-year anniversary party in France but yes so that is 
We're totally in the same boat because this year is my 20th wedding anniversary as well. Happy and all all plans are out the window. Thank you. And to you. So you, you, you <laughs> talked a little bit about baking is certainly having a moment. In fact, it seems like bread, in addition to beard growing, is absolutely the hottest <laughs> thing in quarantine. And Hala and Babka have also had their moments. I personally bought myself a lam, a lame, for, <laughs> for scoring bread. Okay. Um, I just want to know, I mean, you've talked about sort of we're all in this together, but what's happening here with bread? specifically, and people freaking out about making bread, myself included? Well, <laughs> people, at the beginning, and I think it's carried on, it's that looking for something to do. And if it, it, at the beginning, when we all got stuck inside, everyone wanted, they felt like, should I learn a new language? Should I get in contact with random relatives via Zoom that I never really talked about or cared about before? They're looking for something to fill their brain that isn't what's actually going on. And we all have to eat. And I think people were, especially again at the beginning, they were hesitant to have food. Some people had stocked up on groceries for like they assumed they were going to have to be stuck not having any outside food for a long time. And bread is an essential that they were going to have, but it also sort of fell under the category of uh, toilet paper and hand sanitizer was because everyone was gathering the bread. We need to be able to make our own bread. And then that sort of made it very trendy and popular because they couldn't get the bread flour. They couldn't get the yeast. And when you couldn't get all that things, it's like, oh my God, everybody wants it and I need to have it and I can't. So that sort of spiraled. But then eventually people were getting, um, when they got the bread flour and they got the yeast, or um, I came up with a recipe that you really didn't even need bread flour or yeast for. They just were so excited to be able to focus on something that they could do that a few weeks ago or months ago, they couldn't because we're all... We can't go out. We can't see our friends. We can't go to work. We can't. So now I, before I couldn't make bread and now I can make bread. a can to turn a can into a can in a time when there's a whole bunch of cans is great. I think. Now, Hala is your, it's your thing. What is the significance of Hala for people who don't have this kind of background or information like myself? Why is it braided? And why is it sometimes round? The, the braid is, there's like a thousand answers to all of the challah questions. And now you have to be careful because if you answer them within a way that someone doesn't agree with, then you've offended someone. So that's why that's like the stigma of challah because it's this mystical thing that is attributed to Judaism. And it's like, okay, we're going to have this at our Shabbat table and we're going to have two of them and we, they have to be a certain way, which is why people revere it. So, but then, so the braiding is just, that's just, I actually, I probably, there's like, a, there's reasons on it, but I don't necessarily, I just think it's a style. And I, I feel like I can look up some more reasons, but I never really got into that as much as just the structure of the bread. And then like, it's supposed to be, I thought it was always supposed to be a sweet eggy bread, but I've learned through this that it's not necessarily a sweet. Some people say it doesn't supposed to have any sugar or any oil. And then some woman told me that, if it didn't have eggs in it, it wasn't considered challah. So I, to be long story short is that I don't know. I, I think that it's a traditional bread. You see it round, um, especially during the high holidays for Rosh Hashanah to signify the new year, the cycle of the year. So that's why some people have it round. Sometimes I'll have it round just because it looks pretty. I, and then some people say that it doesn't have to be braided. It just has to be something that um, the dough 
a yeast dough that if you can t- make a blessing on a certain amount that you've made of dough, then you can then you can call it challah. And some people say, well, if I can just I can make the blessing for the challah on two hamburger rolls too, just a special blessing that you say on bread. There's it's so I like everything in any religion. There's a whole bunch of varied opinions about it, and I try and just go with this is what we do. We just we have these two breads and we try to um, make them braided. And so we can say a blessing on the Shabbat table for the bread. I think that speaks to how versatile food is and how even the most traditional foods, there can be so many different iterations of it. And if you look at regional cuisine and how traditional foods can take on those characteristics. Ingredients vary. What are some traits that Hala picked up here in the States? Or is there such a thing as traditional Hala, but to your point you just said, doesn't really matter? Well, that's that's my thing. (laughs) (laughs) Traditional Hala was traditional Hala, and it was Hala everywhere. People thought this was Hala. This was your bread if you went to London you wanted challah, it was a braided bread. If you went to um, Portugal, it was bra- it, every Canada, anywhere you went, the bread was exactly the same. The taste sometimes was different. Sometimes people had them baked higher or they like a longer loaf. And some people would do occasional toppings. And that made it special because it was the same globally. And it, it is a special bread. But the downside of that, which I really didn't realize it was happening until it happened to me is that people become scared of it because they think it needs to be in a certain way. It needs to have a certain taste, shape, structure, or it doesn't count, or you've done something wrong. And when you have that fear that you're doing something incorrect and you're going to not just offend the people at your table, but you're going to front to your religion, then it's a whole other thing. So I personally never touched challah because I was so scared of it until later in life, I realized that you can, to make challah special, like what you're saying, to make it local to you is okay. So now if people who dabble in the challah arts, you can really see people's personalities and cultures come through because now I see people putting all sorts of things in their challah. Like a, there's a guava, like in like Latin America, guava challah is very popular. And someone today was talking to me about like a baked, like what was it? It was like pickled cod. cod. It was like some sort of like herringy fish that was popular and other kind. And I, I had to be... That's not my style of follow, but there. I, I would try it. Really? <laughs> I'm terrified, but I would try it. <laughs> I was like, how? And I, it's all these different culture, cultural foods that have sort of melded into challah because they're able to take this traditional bread that's just for Judaism and they'll be like, well, but my culture around me likes to have these sorts of things and my friends around me with different like, flavors like this sorts of things. And then they married them. And then to me, that makes challah, the challah even more special to make it more your own. And it becomes not just this challah that you look at, that you like respect and think it should be like the same, but it makes it your challah, which is just, I think you can't beat that. It's interesting that you mention there are people who worry that if, if it doesn't have a certain texture, a certain flavor, it isn't from a certain bakery, then you did Shabbat wrong. And I think about like Passover and the fact that I have a certain large 
kosher food company's wine at my table. And if it's not there, it's like it's not Passover, but it's garbage. I mean, it's terrible wine. <laughs> but if it's if it's not there, like I would never drink it any other time. But if it's not there, I'm like, is it is it Passover? <laughs> I think so. I I'm really curious how you went from making challah to become an, a real expert in challah. What was sort of your evolution in making challah, and also babka, which is I've learned incredibly complex and incredibly delicious and how you have learned to develop an expertise in these two foods that we eat them like as if they're nothing, but there is a tremendous amount of effort and love and complexity behind them. Like I said, I did not make challah. I baked things um, for my family, for my friends, but I was scared to make challah because my mother um, makes, I think she makes the most delicious challah. And no matter how hard I tried to make challah like hers, I couldn't make challah like hers. And I was like, well, why would I even try? Because I couldn't do it. But she lives in St. Louis and I live here in Sharon. And one day she called me to tell me that she had went to a friend's house for um, Rosh Hashanah and the friend had, it was the talk of the town. She had made the challah with like a layer of honey inside the challah, right? And so when you cut it, it's like, oh, look, there's a little, like a, some honey inside and it was Rosh Hashanah. And it was like, oh, that is so perfect. But so she asked her, how do you make, how do you do this? What's the trick? What's the recipe? She's like, oh. I will take that to my grave. No one will know. She refused to tell her how she did it. And my, my mom, who she really shares recipes. She, she does everything. She will work with anyone for every amount of time. She, this was just not her. And she was like, I can't believe this. What do we do? I'm like, what? I got it. And I, <laughs> I was like, that was the minute that I was like, all right, I'll try. <laughs> because what I can't, she, no one messes with my mom. But you can't do that. So I looked, you, there's actually a tremendous amount of research that you could do because it is one of these things that you look at and you think, okay, I'm going to enjoy it, but you don't realize exactly what goes behind it. So then I read about how people can put things inside different breads. That's not challah. And then I read about consistencies. And what happened was eventually I failed about 1,000 times. I messed up trying to put honey in the challah so many times. It was awful to be such a failure but like because anytime there's a money leaked out because it was too thin and it burned or it never it never melted into the bread and you couldn't see it I couldn't figure it out and it was horrible because no one likes to mess up so much so I, when I was like at my low I was starting to think about what other things I could do now that I know this technique for stuffing breads in general how if I can't do honey what are some other things that I might be able to put in the bread and like chocolate chips that's easy chocolate chip bread and then I started thinking about things foods that my, my friends enjoyed or that my husband enjoyed and I made like a salami stuffed challah and I did all these things and it turns like oh I totally can do it and it felt so good after so many failures not only did I come up with the techniques but I made enough mistakes in the dough for making the trying to make the honey challah that I learned all the mistakes you can just make on the challah itself. Like what sort of, like, why don't I like this recipe? So I changed it to make it more like this recipe. What was going on with yeast? Because yeast is petrifying and it's very, you can kill it. And I didn't want to kill the yeast because I don't like to kill things in general. But I was like, it helped you get this big perspective when you fail. It's But it's awful. But then it, it also was something that I could do with my friends. I remember 
bringing the salami challah to one of my friends. And she's like, that's just weird. You cannot have a salami, salami stuck in the challah. And I was like, all right. I'm like, what do you want in the challah? So then I made her like a cookie dough challah because she was like, I love the things that I knew that she would come over to my house for like her birthday. That would be something that she would love anything with like cookie dough, ice cream and things like that. So I'm like, I could put cookie dough in the challah. And you just start realizing the things that make people happy, the things that make people the most comforted, the most settled are things that you can combine with essentially bread to make it even more awesome because he doesn't really like a sandwich, which is really is just like a braided sandwich. And it was, it was great. So though, that's sort of how that happened. And then as I started doing more and more shapes and get like people's presence would be, I would create a whole challah flavor, like in their honor, someone liked pesto. So I made a zesto pesto challah and someone like she's like a vegetarian and was like already I was already making like brisket challah and salami challah so I wanted she's like I need a, a meal that's a challah that's vegetarian and I'm like so I made her a falafel stuff challah you know so all these things but then people you should sell the challah you should do something with it and I did I it took a lot of persuading because it's different to cook for people you love and know and they won't be too mean to you versus just let me give you this that I made and you can pay me money and don't say anything mean because I can't handle it. <laughs> you can't do that. It's like a, you sort of stepped up. The timing happened to have worked out nicely that it was the year where Thanksgiving and Hanukkah were together. Do you remember that? Where it was like Thanksgiving. We had a special name for it, right? Jewish Boston had a Thanksgiving, yeah. Yeah, so thank you. It was a big deal. It's never going to happen again in our lifetime, right? So hopefully that and pandemics will be the only two cool <laughs> things that happen in our lifetime. <laughs> and I I had done like, I think like 15 challahs in October. And then I realized that like maybe I should do something special for the Thanksgiving call. And I made a, a, a pumpkin flavored challah and I wanted, and I turned it into a turkey. It looked like a turkey. It made um, it had the tummy center, like that looked was made of the pumpkin challah, and then I did pull apart rolls for the body, and then I used chocolate chips and sprinkles to make the the beak and the uh, what is it, the waddle, so that that it looked like a turkey. And I put it on my Facebook, uh, my Mandelicious Facebook. I just had like, I think I just had barely a hundred followers on just Facebook, and something about that because it was just for the specialness of seeing the Jewy thing and the Thanksgiving thing altogether, that picture went very, was very popular. And people started driving from all over the place to get the turkey challah that I made. So that sort of like boosted, like more people heard about me. And then in January or February, a friend of mine's daughter said I should be on Instagram. She was like 11 at the <laughs> time. And she created an Instagram account for me. And I still, I probably still not know how to use it properly but she she made it for me and through that because on, on the Facebook Mandelicious page on Facebook it's pretty local all my stuff my local people in the area who were ordering would look at the Facebook page but on Instagram I feel like it's easier to get a more global reach and it occurred to me that I couldn't use Instagram for sales I didn't for pictures and people were sending me messages how do you do this how what when I make my challah this happens when I I'm not Jewish. Can I still eat challah? All these questions. I kept getting all these questions from all these people. And I realized that this page shouldn't be for selling things. It should be to help people figure this out because I knew how hard it is to make challah. I, I literally know how horrible it feels to fail at this, especially this thing that I could help them. So then I started developing recipes and putting them on there, answering people's questions one-on-one. -on -one to help them through their, the challah 
and eventually babka because babka is like a whole other animal. But then I realized that you could also do cookie dough babka, you know, what? it's kind of awesome, right? Yeah. And then, and also buffalo chicken babka. There's no reason you can't go both ways. But <laughs> the, so the end result is that all this woman who wouldn't share her recipes with everybody ultimately ended up sharing her recipes with everybody because now there's not a recipe that I don't tell people. There's nothing that I won't tell people how to do or how to make because helping somebody do it themselves and the messages that you get and the, the joy, like you can hear it through the, the messages that they send, the relief that they get, that's worth everything. There's nothing better than that. Why would you not want to share your recipes? Why wouldn't you want to help someone? So I have came up with the recipes to help them succeed there's and then there's fillings and then they themselves now have come up with all these fillings like I told you about just from their cultures that flavors that I never would have even thought of because it's not local to me I would have no clue so they're all making it themselves I just sort of like pushed it and now it's just gotten bigger and bigger and everyone's doing all these super fun awesome things it makes me happy that's incredible I want some of that turkey challah <laughs> it's so it's yeah, yeah it's, with waddle with yeah, the waddle i mean that's like the part I, i'm stuck on. i'm like all right i could see how you could do that part that part but <laughs> you put a waddle in there <laughs> <laughs> little red sprinkles go a long way but it's the first picture on my instagram account i think that is there is that turkey picture now there's lots of turkeys i make with stuff with all sorts of things like there's a turkey stuff turkey follow that was sort of cannibalistic feeling just felt wrong so you come up with these amazing things all on your own based on what makes people happy, but Mandylicious Hala also does custom orders, correct? Different designs, yes. shapes, logos, letters. What's the craziest you've ever received or the most fun? People are so clever. Like they had one person had me do her son's bar mitzvah logo. That was so fun. And one person, I just did a Disney uh, World challah with the Mickey ears. That was fun. I did... But the one table Shabbat, I wrote Boston out in Fala. That was also fun. But one person had me for her, I think it was her daughter's birthday. She saw that, the ra- not the rainbow stuff, so the one that stuff with sprinkles. She saw that and she had she wanted me to make her letter of her name with the, in that shape, which is fine. But she wanted it huge. And it was so much dough to, and six strand and all the rainbows that it, it took off my entire counter just trying because you need to have enough dough to make it a proper shape. And it says her initial wasn't like I, it was G. So it had to have like a long enough thing to make it an arch and then a long, and that was many layers. Custom flavors, people don't, it's hard for them to think sometimes what, what to ask for. And also sometimes I can't make it. There's a group that would order special house and they would have some ideas what they would want. And then we would work together uh, on a flavor that a profile that would work for them. Because there are some things that people want to have stuff in the hollows, but so they don't work, like jelly beans and things like that. You cannot put jelly beans in the hollow because the colors all melt off and there's that gummy thing in the middle that's disgusting. So nobody wants that. Because it's, so people, it's hard to get people to realize that all, that, that how far I'm willing to go <laughs> to get them so crazy. They're crazy. So it's not, I feel like there's the Mickey Mouse one was the most fun and the gigantic six stranded rainbow G was the most intense just because it was I've just it was three or four challahs worth of dough just rolled out if I don't have a commercial kitchen I don't have like all it's just me and the dough and we were having a war it was but it's fine me and it turned out glorious I'm very happy they were very happy were there some that that you either been asked to make or you just decided to try 
on her own that just like you said, wow, that was not the best idea in retrospect? <laughs> there are. <laughs> I tend to obsess over a challah before I make the challah. So that, like I have an idea about a challah and I will think about it in my head a million times before I actually go to make it. So I think through all the possible outcomes and then I say, okay, no, if I do this, then it'll, it'll melt out the edge. There won't be a filling left. If I do this and the filling will be too dry. So I try and troubleshoot it before I even make that first one. So thankfully those sorts of things are rare. I sometimes need to add more sugar or need to add more filling. Um, I did a dill pickle challah, which is so fun. And I, it, I used pickle juice from the jar instead of the uh, water that I call it called for my recipe and I use sour salt and it was great. But then that, that was a hard one because the salt, if you have too much salt in your dough, it won't rise properly. Yeah. I was thinking about vinegar and salt and yeah. yeast and seems <laughs> so like it, a... that one was a challenge in terms of like getting the salt level, right? Cause it didn't taste salty, but I had to, so you had to make a, like there was like a fine line between you're putting pickle juice in challah. You got to, you really got to work that to make it work. <laughs> and then I put pickle chips, uh, not the, no pickle potato chips. Have, have a try those. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, they're, they're amazing. Good. I yeah. love them. So yeah, they were on top. It was a great time that pickle challah. Um, but it did, that did take a few tries to get right. Cause it was just a bunch of really weird when you're changing the dough versus changing the stuffing. So you, a lot of my stuff is just what you're sticking inside a dough that was working when you have to change the recipe of the dough itself it becomes um, more of a challenge. I, and the only, I don't do bananas and I don't do fish. So those challahs will never be a thing. But I did figure out how to make challah bagels. So you can have like, everyone's like, do a lox and cream cheese challah. I'm like, okay, okay, what's gonna happen is I will figure out how to make these challah bagels and then you can put lox and cream cheese on those bagels. Compromise. <laughs> okay, but no. hold on. Challah bagels? What? Yeah. And why yeah. why no bananas? Because I mean, banana bread is also has also been another quarantine baking trend. Banana doesn't seem super far fetched to put in bread. So why the ever? I mean, and fish I get one hundred percent, but why not banana? <laughs> oh, I just don't like it. Ah, so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I did stuff a challah with banana. It also becomes a flavor issue if you want to change banana bread and challah bread. Are different. Yes, it's not. Challah is a yeast dough, and a banana bread is almost like a cake. So it's got like baking powder, baking soda, and the challah's got yeast, which makes it the texture that it is. When you wanted to add, you could either the amount of bananas that you would have to add to the dough to make it work would be so many, and you can't stuff a challah with just plain bananas because then it gets all. You never see a cooked banana; it would just it would not go well. And then there's banana flavoring, but if you put to, to get the dough to be a flavor, you have to put a certain amount in to the dough and it starts to take, taste fake, which is why I don't do like a mint chocolate chip flavored dough challah because to get your dough to taste like mint, you have to use the mint um, extract. And after a while, it just, it tastes, you can, it's so much that you can taste, it's not authentic. So those sorts of things, any sort of flavor that you want your bread to take on, you have to see if you can add that flavor or stuff it in. So the mint chocolate chip, I don't like to do a mint flavored challah dough, but if you did mint, like those mint flavored Oreos crushed inside the dough, that's delicious. That totally works. That's a great dough. And you can make a chocolate dough also with the challah and that totally works. But a mint chocolate chip dough won't work. A banana bread dough won't work the way you want it to. It would have, it would be 
a lot of changes and it wouldn't turn out like you wanted to. But I did make a banana bread stuffed challah once. So I stuffed it with banana bread. It was a special request. I thought that was a good compliment. Wow. And living up to your uh, name, uh, you, you do call yourself a carbologist. <laughs> You're also known as a challah guru and you teach a lot of challah baking classes. What do you enjoy most about bringing the joy of challah to different audiences? Because it's a lot, it's not, you're not making a salad, but you're starting off and answering those questions that they always thought had to be one thing or seeing like their face back in the day when we could have like face-to-face classes was just, it's like a a realization. Oh, that's why my yeast was never rising. Oh, that's why I couldn't get the right kind of sugar in the salad. Like all these things that people do, all these things and everyone does all, all these things that can mess with their dough. And getting these people to a point where they know the correct consistency, because the consistency of the challah is so important, the dough itself, and people forget that. So when you get over that hump, that moment where they realize that they can totally make challah on their own, that they don't need a carbologist or a challah guru, they can just, they're their own challah gurus, they can do it. But they just have to get past that. There's always that one thing that keeps people from doing it. And some people, um, they don't know how to braid properly. And some people don't know how to knead properly. There's that one thing, everyone has that one thing that's a challenge for them. And once they can get just talked through to that point where they're comfortable and they see what they have to look for, they might not, they might make a mistake. They might not be able to knead it properly for a few times. And they might not be able to get the dough uh, to rise for a few times, but at least they know what they're looking for, that their like minimum of knowledge is when they, when they, right back or they sit see their dough when they when you see it it's it's so good <laughs> because they're it's it's so happy you've you just taught them how to make themselves happy which is so hard to do because making yourself happy is a challenge sometimes and you can do that with bread it's great i love that and i love baking i've made breads before but one thing i've never actually made myself is challah or that i can remember anyway i mean my parents assured me that i have when i was younger but i (laughs) can't to someone who hasn't baked challah before uh, the process does seem a bit much and i have done a yeast bread so i have done the proofing and i've made like croissants and stuff and puff pastry from scratch but when it comes to actually making the challah there are so many steps there's proofing there's rolling there's braiding there's the egg wash what's like one piece of practical advice for a novice challah baker apart from that you just have to get over the one thing that's bugging you use instant yeast it's for a lot of people the one thing that messes them up is the active dry yeast or they try and get a quick bread yeast if you can find instant yeast you just add it to your dough so you're adding that's completely, the proofing step is completely gone. The odds of it rising properly are, may increase a thousand times over. And it crushes me because I have seen bakers and even challah bakers sort of say, anyone who uses instant yeast, that's cheating. Or anyone who's using a bread machine, that's cheating. It's not cheating. It's yeast. It's bread. It's dough. You're doing it yourself. It's not cheating. You have to stop. We're not going to like, like bang ourselves on the head. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't count. It's not like you're not doing cardio. You're just you're just making bread. You're doing the opposite of cardinal. Um, you, so it's like, do the thing that helps you. So use, if you want to spend $50 or $30 on a bread machine and you think that'll help you because kneading is going to be a challenge for you, it's going to be money that's going to be well spent. If you can find instant yeast, because that's what my recipe calls for, because that was one of the things that was the hardest for me when I was doing the challah recipe was figuring out 
the temperature of the water. I was like, it should, in the descriptions, people would be like, it should burn you, but not so much. <laughs> or like, you should be able to hold your hand under it for like two seconds, but not 20 seconds. As I, it was too hard. And instant yeast, when I started researching about all the kinds of yeast, it was like, even King Arthur himself, he says that instant yeast is the way to be because it will help you a thousand times. If you can get the instant yeast and you've already gotten the proofing that'll help your rise, then you just really have to worry about braiding because that's the shaping and that does, it is hard. I did have, Danny had to teach me how to braid like, cause I was very bad at it. So then I had to come up with little techniques and stories in my head to help me figure out the braiding. And I have those all in my Insta stories, even the basic three strands. So once you, it's just like, it's a little story you have to tell yourself when you braid it and it helps. So, but once you get instant, once you have your dough, then you can go for it. Even if you want to just make it into a loaf pan, at least you've started off, oh, I've made challah tasting dough. It just doesn't look like challah bread yet. But then you you can baby step your way there. That makes sense. I have to tell you, like, it was such a revelation for me to realize that, like, okay, three and a half cups of flour could actually be measured in grams so that you didn't need a stupid knife to round off <laughs> <laughs> to make a straight cup because like, I don't know how much flour is sifted, how compact that cup is. You can use weight. That was such a, a revelation for me. On a related note, I wonder if you are a seasoned challah baker, and I certainly am not, what's your advice for someone who's already pretty good at this for upping their game to really wow their guests? Well, and if you're not having guests, your family and your Instagram followers. <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. It's, you will do better with anything if you do it for yourself instead of, you know, trying to impress an audience. So you do it for the people, things that if the people that you're in the room with that love the bread that you're making the most, that will turn into something great versus like all the people on Instagram, I think are doing, oh, I need to have all these shapes and weird sizes. Don't worry about that. Look at Look at the room, read the room that you're in, and then your brain can sort of um, snowball from there. Because if you see, okay, I want to make a challah, I'm already great at making challah, what is, how can I make my challah be awesome? Then you, you pick, you need a muse, right? It's like any artist. This is, you're a challah artist, you need something. And your muse can't be a whole bunch of things that you see on Instagram or Facebook that you don't have any connection to. But if you like, um, uh, let's say, like you love going to Australia, with your uh, significant other that before all this, you can make an Australian theme challah. Like use that, and then it could become all right. What 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 is our favorite restaurant in Australia? Like oh, we're gonna have like a Vegemite challah, something <laughs> like that. But obviously, I don't think Vegemite is very good, but people like it. But something like that, a, a place, uh, a connection, something that that's gonna make your challah different than anyone else's challah. And once you can make a challah different than anyone else's, people respond to that. Like, I've never seen a challah in the shape of a kangaroo before. Oh my gosh. I, you know, <laughs> what is, uh, wow, wow, that's adorable. It looks like a koala. You can't, like, those are things, those sorts of, like, trying to up your game within yourself and using different sorts of inspiration from all the things around you, that'll take you to greatness faster than anything else because your brain is so full of all those ideas and happy things and just tying them in small ways into your uh, challah will will turn it infinitely better than anything else that I can even tell anyone to do. I love that. And it goes against the whole doing it for the gram saying that people have. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> you have over 25 
thousand Instagram followers. You're a bonafide baking influencer. What's the secret to your social media success? I don't know. I, I think it's a combination of obviously being uh, a little bit crazy, like I'm chill. I People don't want to approach someone who says this has to look like this. It has to be like this. If you don't do it like this, then you're wrong. Anytime, any of my posts, they all start off with, if you can do it, great. Try to do this the way. Things that are manageable, I say that they're a little bit more manageable. And things I will never say that something is easy because I know that for someone, my easy is going to be someone else's hard and their hard is going to be my easy. So they have to learn from themselves and seeing someone who's open with their mistakes and open with what the challenge for people is great. And I think, but honestly, I think the biggest uh, boost in all of it is I make people direct message me for my recipe. And everyone's like, are they, you're trying to sell it? Are you, what are you trying? I never sell everything. The only thing I'm doing, I give everything for free, all of my time, all of my recipes, all I want is when you to talk to me one-on-one when I'm giving you this recipe and not reading it from a book. Because when you read a recipe from a person, I become a person to them. I talk to hundreds of people every day, one-on-one about their chalas and I can help them. And that will make them successful because it's, Here's, if you get shy, if you read a, a recipe on Instagram, you'll save it to your bookmarks or whatever. And then you'll go back and you'll read it and you'll be like, oh my God, I don't know what this person is talking about or this looks completely wrong. What am I supposed to do? By having people direct message me and then giving them the recipe that way, it's not to manipulate people. It's just so people know that I'm here and I'll talk to them and I'm a real person. And any, any questions or issues that happen while they're baking their challah, I will like rescue 911. They send me pictures and videos all the time. And that initial contact with a person that's not just one of the faceless people on Instagram, it, it helps make a connection. And that connection will lead you towards success because you can always be successful when you can talk to a person who can answer questions for you, but you can't always be successful when you just Oh, wow. They are so cool. I wish I could be like them. That's not going to lead to your own success. Having them tell you, like, help you with all of your little questions one-on-one, that will lead you to success. And that's all I want. So I think that has made a big difference, just talking to the people, having them feel comfortable asking me questions. has been really nice for everybody. Now, you are talking to a ton of people, and I assume you're baking a lot as well. And I assume also that quarantine has been a fairly busy time for you. I've heard that you're going to be taking a bit of a vacation for some of the summer. <laughs> um, how are you going to spend your summer and what do you think you're going to uh, miss most about making challah or do you think you're going to end up sneaking in the occasional loaf just because you're used to it? No, I will not. I love baking. Even when I'm on vacation, I don't, I keep baking. I keep having ideas. I just don't sell. And that's nice because every week I have a commitment to the people who um, buy from me to make the challahs. And even though I've, I've had to cut how many I sell and, I, and the way I sell it because I want to be able to be with my kids and help them with all of their crazy and their feelings with what's going on. So I wanted to be able to dedicate some time to that. It will still be nice to just do it on my own feed and be let my own inspiration be the thing that guides me versus I have to make 50 challahs by Friday because I want to make sure people have their challahs for Shabbat. I inject, and I do go on usually a solid vacation because I do, I travel and I go all, do all sorts of fun things during the summer. So this will be a different summer for me because I will be home and there'll be 
but presumably different sorts of inspiration and different sorts of fun halas that I will come up with just because I'll have a different environment um, with which to create. But I'll be definitely still baking, definitely still on Instagram helping people with their own halas. Just because I'm not making a whole bunch of halas for a billion other people doesn't mean that I'm not going to help you make halas for your people. I love that. I love that. So now we are going into a quick speed round. So just a couple questions for you. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. How long does it actually take you to make challah now that you're an expert? It depends on the challah, but an hour and a half as the initial rise time. And then you have an, uh, depends on, again, if it's a stuffed challah, it'll take more, but we'll assume just a regular stranded one. So it's an hour and a half rise time. Then it takes me two seconds to braid it. Then 20 minutes, second rise. And then it has to bake. So assume two and a half hours altogether. And besides challah and babka, what else keeps you busy in the kitchen? Anything that my kids want to make. <laughs> they like will see something and I'll be like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Let's make it. Because what is it? Phoebe saw something for candied strawberries. And especially now during quarantine, it's like, all right, what's, it's an activity. It counts. And she, <laughs> she's like, okay. And I read all the instructions. And it's like, you should have a candy thermometer. I'm like, I don't have a candy thermometer. And I read all these um, things online about you don't need a can't use the softball method and use a toothpick with water. I'm like, okay. And I messed up like 700,000 pounds of strawberries. Because what you need to candy strawberries, a candy thermometer, apparently. Yes. They were not wrong. <laughs> so I, I Amazon that. And now, so these things that I never would have thought to do before, that keeps me busy in the kitchen. Things that so now I, now I know how to candy strawberries. And the first time that we did it, we were so excited. We literally candied everything in the kitchen. Like we had, it was, there was like candy covered, like chips and candy covered, like we actually candy covered candy because that was around. It was, we candy covered oranges. It was so, anyways, that's, I digress. But things like that, those crazy ideas that keep me busy, things that I never have thought of before. But now I'm thinking about the, My that's children awesome. are going to leave my house and go live. <laughs> in your house because <laughs> you're so much cooler than we are. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering, do you eat challah every week? Do you ever get sick of it? No, do I eat challah? I do eat challah every week. I don't get sick of it. I get sick of sometimes I need a, I get, I call it, I get angry at my kitchen. I can't, I'm like, I can't look at it anymore. Like towards the end of the week, especially like on those really busy holidays like Rosh Hashanah or Thanksgiving or um, Purim even, when I've done like hundreds of batches and loaves of bread, I'm, I get angry at it. I'm like, I can't look at you anymore. We're on a break. And I leave the kitchen and I just won't go back in until like three days later, Danny will come down to the kitchen. I'll be like, what is going on? There's dishes and things down because I've just abandoned it. I'm like, I'm breaking up with the kitchen just for a little bit, but I promise I'll come back. But I don't get sick of eating it, presumably because every week it's something different <laughs> in my house, especially because it's, but also it's that, it's the best part of your week, right? It's Friday night when you sit down, the, the week is over. You have only like the weekend to look forward to. You're all together. It's warm bread. Even if it's not a fun flavor, there's, you can't get sick of something that's happening at the happiest part of your week. So it was, even if it was like, oh, it's Shabbat, we're gonna have braided eggplants. I feel like maybe that would be less enjoyable, but still, even so, you would be enjoying your time while you're having it. So that makes it taste a thousand times better. Okay. So from the department of not one of the great debates of the Talmud, I have to ask, do you tear or do you cut challah on Shabbat? 
<laughs> I cut it. I can't. I like. I like love like to pull it. Like I see people doing it, and I want to do it. And the kids like they they'll tear off a chunk. I don't. I I like nope. Have to slice it. Can't do it. <laughs> I don't. It's like a mental block. I don't know why. Because I like sometimes you slice it because it's stuffed with something you know, or like a rainbow and it looks pretty when you slice it. But even regular, I just I have to see it. Well. That is actually really important because I was just thinking, if you make this beautiful stuffed challah, I have to see the the changes in the bread. I have to see the contours and the colors and all these things. And if you just rip it, if your kid's just grabbing it and tearing it, eh. So thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. I'm really happy to know <laughs> yeah. that you're cutting it. Yes, we call that the reveal when you slice it. Like the first, the first time you, you slice it when the first time you made a new flavor, it's so fun because you, you want to see how it looks like on the inside and the reveal for the rainbow challah actually was pretty awesome and then i made a pinata challah i don't know if you saw that but that's it's actually on my highlights on how to do it the reveal for that that video alone i could watch it thousands of times just because it's the most you cut into it and all the sprinkles just they all fall out it's a holla oh unboxing God. video. I love it. I love it. Yes, it's like a holla unboxing <laughs> video. You're so right. <laughs> That's exactly what it wow. is. Wow. <laughs> I've seen holla, I mean, I, I've seen pinata cookies and pinata cake, but never a pinata holla. How, I'm, I'm, I have to watch this video. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's, it's, you can totally do it. I we'll link to that. We'll have to link to that. Parts of it are challenging. We will. <laughs> So good. <laughs> well, Mandy, this has been amazing. So fun talking to you and hearing about your energy and your love for this. It's just awesome. And I can't wait to eat some of your hollas sometime soon. I haven't had any yet, but I do need to. And I'm going to, in the meantime, I'll just look at all the photos good. on Instagram. That's right. I'll give you my recipe. Don't you worry about it. You can make it yourself. You don't, you don't even, I'm just, I'll just, you can do it. I'll be fine. Fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you should try uh, spinning sugar with your kids. Oh, if you haven't, because you okay. have a candy thermometer, and I think sugar has to I be do. at hardball to spin or softball. I don't know, but you can try it, and you guys can have all sorts of oh, fun. We're so with it. We're totally getting burned. Oh man, <laughs> there's going to be lots of emergencies. Oh. I can't wait. <laughs> He's going to be excited. And you have to cure everything <laughs> at home awesome. now too. So, yeah. oh, I know, right? Oh, I stabbed myself in the foot right before um, the staters before Pesach. I just finished cleaning everything. It was the first time I ever made Passover myself. And I was like crying and cleaning because I was so sad not to be with my family. And I had a, a brand new knife that I bought for Passover. And I was like, oh, this might kind of put it away because the kitchen has to be clean. And it fell in my foot. And I, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Oh, so I spent, yeah, that we cheated that ourselves. Wow. <laughs> a, I, now I have a great scar. Oh, awesome. I'll remember it forever. Oh, All right. <laughs> Jeez. Um, okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much. To see Mandy's creations, check out her Instagram at MandyLiciousHala. And listeners, be sure to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to the Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You, you can, can also email us at podcast.jewishboston.com with your comments, feedback, and ideas for future topics and guests. And thanks, as always, to our editor, Jesse, and our composer, Ryan.